I want to jump into our text for today. Uh, we're looking at Ecclesiastes 12. Before we do that, I want to share just a little walk down memory lane. Um, my wife and I were married on February 2nd of 2002. Our wedding was at 2 o'clock. So if you can see the uh, date numerically, the wedding invitation said, join Mike and Lynn on 020202 at 2 for a ceremony that will forever change their lives. And I remember putting on a really fancy outfit that day and standing at the front of the church when my beautiful bride came through this door with her uh, on her father's arm and they walked down the aisle and my day, that day forever changed. Um, it was not many months after that that we would move to Tennessee and uh, we'd been here ever since. And my wife gave me a really cool present on our 10-year anniversary. My wife gives cool gifts and, and the, one of the things she gave me on our 10-year anniversary was a little document called What Was and Is and Is to Come. And in good sort of Christmas carol fashion, she put together photos of the cars we've driven and the cars we're going to drive, the house we have lived in, the house we are living in, the house we're going to live in, uh, relationship past, relationship present, relationship future, tons of fun. I want to share with you some of the images in this very fun document. I will hold this uh, until I die, but I want to share with you some of the images from this. Um, looking at our life past as a couple, she included a couple images from our wedding day. And this was what my bride and I looked like on that fantastic day. Man, is she beautiful, huh? Mm. So that was February 2nd, 2002. That was uh, looking in the rear view mirror. And then uh, that's the what was. And when we got to what is, uh, we advanced the clock. Actually, this is still looking back a little bit. We started a family, and I need to explain this second photo, I think, a little bit. When, when my wife got pregnant, I felt a really high need to empathize with the changes that her body was experiencing. And so I very intentionally increased my consumption of ice cream so that she would not feel alone in the house as her clothes no longer fit. All right? But then we started a family. Uh, she was pregnant with our first child, Elizabeth, and then we would have a family. And then this picture over here on this side shows what our family looked like in 2012. My kiddos are a little bit bigger now. And then this picture over on this side was just from a couple years ago. Uh, those, that's sort of present day, right? This is in 2012, this is what is. And my wife grabbed a photo off the internet to kind of give a snapshot of what she thought we would look like as we got a little older. And this was her vision of us <laughs> getting a little older. I love that photo. I think that's great. Now, I mentioned in this document, there's pictures of the houses we've lived in uh, in the past and where we'd be in the future and all kinds of fun stuff. Lynn also included baby photos of herself and of myself. And I, I'm not going to put up the baby photos. That'll be silly. But there's images of what she looked like in this document when she was a baby, as she got older. There's pictures of her present day. And this was Lynn's forecast of what she thought she'd look like in the future. Want to pull this one up? There you go. I especially love the curlers. And she says, Mike, this is what you have to look forward to. Um, she did the same for me. So she grabbed some of my baby photos and put them in there, and they were really cute and endearing. That's, you know, in my past. She grabbed present-day photos, and this was her take on me as I get older. Isn't that excellent? <laughs> I'm not sure if you can see it, but check out the shoulder hair. Is that awesome? I could use my wife's curlers for my shoulders. Yeah. So aging, that's the focus of our text today. 
as we read Ecclesiastes 12, you have to be a little lighthearted when you consider the aging process. I'm glad we're lighthearted and light-spirited and kind of jovial as we look at this because the text is somewhat sobering. Solomon, I don't know if he's just a serious guy. Maybe he didn't tell a whole lot of jokes or pull a whole lot of pranks, but he's got a really serious text as we look at the realities of aging. And you know how your Bible has like chapter headings. It'll say, hey, we're going into John chapter six, and then it'll, it'll give like a synopsis of what this chapter is about. When I read Ecclesiastes 12, the commentators that are giving a summary of what Ecclesiastes 12 is about, they use really stark wording. I'll just give you a couple examples. One commentator's take on Ecclesiastes 12, the heading said this, live responsibly before the miseries of old age come. Another one said, remember God before gloom and decay sets in. Really uplifting stuff, right? I don't know if these commentators just need some more fun in their life or if this is just honest reporting about what we're going to step into in Ecclesiastes 12. I guess you'll be the judge of that as we get into our time together today. Now, Ecclesiastes 12 is going to follow immediately on the heels of Ecclesiastes 11. And I know what you're thinking. Mike, wow, that was a profound statement. I'm really glad you're up here leading us this morning. But we need to remember that the chapters and verses in our Bible, they weren't there originally. They were added after the fact. There was a French monk in the mid-1500s who installed chapter and verse into our Bible to create for us kind of a GPS system so we can quickly get to where we want to be. Now, um, what happens when some of these chapter divisions are created, sometimes it suggests a departure of thought, a delineation of what this chapter was about. Man, we're closing the door on that, and now we're switching over here to a completely different idea. You need to know that that's not what's happening between chapter 11 and chapter 12. It's just a continuation of the mode of thought that Solomon is on. And so to kind of tee us up this morning, I'm going to just read for you quickly where Lloyd finished off last week in 11, Okay. So chapter 11, verse 9, you can just skip back a chapter in your Bible if you got it in front of me. But verse 9 from last week said, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for these things. Solomon is saying, follow the impulses of your heart. Go for it. Pursue the desires of your eyes. But he's saying, but don't be stupid about it. You will stand before your creator to give an account of the decisions that you made and of the things that you did. So verse 10, he says, so remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting, right? What's he saying? The strength in your body that you feel, it's not there going to be there forever, Those cool things you want to do, go ahead and do them because there will be a time when you won't be able to. Why? Because the prime of life is fleeting. And he continues right on into verse 12, sorry, chapter 12, verse 1, where he says this. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Those cool things that you want to do, those memories you want to create, He's saying, go ahead and do it now because a time is coming when you will no longer be able to or where you will no longer desire to. Now, I'm not sure how many of you in the audience have seen that uh, Pixar movie called Up. Have any of you seen this one? Can I see your hand real quick? All right. It was a delightful story. 
And the first, I think it's a five minute and 40 second intro. It kind of serves as a prologue to the movie. Um, this boy and girl meet and they become husband and wife and she's really spunky and he's just kind of along for the ride. And they have this desire to go on this cool adventure. And they've got this picture of, the, of, this, of this adventure they want to take, but it costs money. And so they put this jar out and every time they walk by the jar, they drop some money in there to be able to fund the adventure they want to have. Well, then life gets in the way. And you see in the prologue uh, that a tree falls down on the house and you see the husband smashing the jar. They've got to take the money to go pay for the repairs to the house. And then 20 seconds later, they're filling the jar up again with money and they see the car breaks down. Smash, got to break the, break the jar, grab the money, got to pay for the car repair now. Right? And the, it advances through several other scenarios and then the jar gets full again and then she goes into the hospital and smash. Can't afford the adventure because we've got to pay for the medical bills. We've all been there. Well, as this prologue advances, uh, all of a sudden now, the man is like an elderly man. He's got gray hair. He's not w- walking quite right. And he's dusting this picture on the mantle. And the picture is of the adventure they were going to take. And he's like, holy cow, I forgot about this. And he takes the picture down off the mantle. He takes it over to his wife, who's like sitting in like the Barca lounger with gray hair and glasses. And he shows it to her. He's like, come on, come on. And she's like, can't do it. I think that's what Solomon's saying here. There's going to be a dark, evil day coming when you will no longer even desire to do the things that you have energy and passion to do now. Now, from verse 1, Solomon is going to skip into some really cool uh, poetic language. He's going to use a lot of really interesting figurative depictions uh, to describe old age. And remember, the launching point from verse 1 was remember your creator, right? So verse 2, remember your creator before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Verse 2 likens uh, the troubles of old age to a gathering storm uh, where both night and day are darkened by clouds and then after the rain falls, the clouds return again. Solomon is suggesting here that while we're young, there is still time for the sky to clear. Uh, But when we're older, we suffer one trouble after another with little or no time to recover. You might remember last week when Lloyd was taking us through Ecclesiastes 11, he acknowledged that in the scriptures, sometimes light is used as a metaphor to indicate life and youth, and that darkness is suggestive of uh, coming death. That's what we're seeing in the language again in verse 2. When he says that uh, darkness is coming, clouds are returning after the rain, he's saying that the approach of death is coming. Now in verse 3, it says, "In In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, the mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they're few, and those who look through the windows grow dim. Some of the commentators I read on this one thought this was figurative language depicting uh, like an estate uh, that's falling into decay or disrepair. If you've ever seen Downton Abbey, picture that massive grand house, full of life, full of there's servants, there's guests, there's lots going on, all kinds of activity, but then after time, the estate itself falling into disrepair. Uh, The grinding mill stops because no one's having grand meals here and so forth. Other commentators on this particular verse thought that this was a metaphorical language of a different kind. And they thought that the wording depicted analogies to the body, 
suggesting what happens to the, our body as it changes as we age. And as I read through the rest of Ecclesiastes 12, I tended to side more with these commentators. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When he says the watchmen of the house tremble, well, what in your body starts to tremble as you get older? Your hands, right? He says the mighty men stoop. Well, what stands tall and proud in your body as you're younger but starts to stoop as you get older, right? Your shoulders. Some commentators thought that might have been a reference to your legs. He says the grinding ones cease because they are few. What are the grinding ones in your body? Your teeth, right? And he says they're grinding less because they are few. Now, we don't resonate with this so much perhaps in our present day when we have the conveniences of modern dentistry where if you need a crown or a false tooth, you can go out and get one. Or if you need dentures, you need total replacement, we got you. We can put in new teeth. But I'd encourage you to picture what this would have been like in Solomon's day, 950 B.C., before we could go to a dentist and get teeth replaced or fixed the way we can today. In fact, all you need to do, if you want, is jump on a plane with me and go to South Sudan, and you'll see that the elderly people in that population, they have to choose their food a little differently, right? Even in our own population today, even with false teeth, I suspect the elderly in our congregation probably don't have a real robust consumption of kettle corn or candied apples. Probably we all have to choose our food a little bit differently as we get older. That's what Solomon's saying about the grinding ones. He also says that those who look through the windows grow dim. What are the windows of life, my friends? They're your eyes, right? Does your eyesight tend to get a little worse as you get older? Of course it does. Uh, as I was looking at this particular segment of the, of the verse, I, I had memories of times when our community group would go out for dinner at restaurants, and I would kind of mock the older people in my community group because they'd have to read their restaurant menus like this. I know I probably shouldn't tell you as an elder that I mock anybody, but that's the reality is I was mocking these people because, hey, they look funny having to read their menus like this. Well, darn it if I'm not one of the people in the restaurant now that can't see the menu as good as I used to. So these declines in our bodies, it seems they're inescapable. Verse 4, Solomon says, The doors on the street are shut, and the sound of the grinding mill is low. And skip forward just a bit, and the daughters of song will sing softly. These are all references to our hearing. The doors that shut are these. The sound of the grinding mill is low. It's not because they're not grinding. It's because you can't hear it. The daughters of song singing softly. Mm -hmm. Our hearing changes over time. And verse 4 also says that one will arise at the sound of a bird. Despite our decline in hearing, isn't it interesting that as you get older, sleep is a little harder. And it's because for whatever reason, your body just wakes up at the slightest disturbance. How many of you, when you were younger, you could just sleep like in crazy fashion? Like you could fall asleep with the lights on, with the music on loud, and you could sleep till 10.30 or 11 in the morning. You guys remember those days when you were younger? Some of you younger folks in the room probably experience that right now. My daughter was amening me in the first service, who loves to sleep until noon. I don't know about you, but that seems to change with age. I'm 44 years old right now. I wouldn't consider myself old. I'm certainly older than I was. But holy mackerel, my sleep-in button is all but broken. I do not know how to sleep in anymore. And I remember not long ago, my wife was calling her mom, who lives in San Jose, at like 8.15 in the morning here in Nashville. I'm like, babe, that's 6.15 in the morning in California. She's like, oh yeah, she's up. Don't worry about it, she's up. 
And I've, for the old people with whom I'm acquainted, that's pretty normal. They're like, oh yeah, I'm getting up at 4.30 tomorrow. Well, why? I can't, I'm done sleeping. Like, wow, okay. It seems that for whatever reason, the sleep-in button breaks when you get older. And I remember again as a kid how different that was. I have stories my parents told me of when I was younger and a smoke detector went off in our house right outside my room. Beep, beep, beep. I was out. I didn't even wake up. And to my parents' chagrin, I had a paper route when I was a kid. I delivered papers door to door. Sometimes my alarm would go off right next to my bed and I wouldn't hear it. My parents' bedroom was right above mine and my dad would be like, for Pete's sakes, get up. My parents would wake up, hear my alarm, but I wouldn't hear it. But man, those days are gone. That first bird chirps at 5.15 in the morning. It's like, my eyes are open. I'm ready to go for the day. I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but man, I sure can. Verse five, let's keep going. Furthermore, it says, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. Have you noticed that young people generally, they've got disregard for their safety? Have you noticed that? I think especially young boys. And they sometimes engage in reckless and even dangerous behaviors without giving it a whole lot of thought, right? I think this is true of youth in general. But these young people, their grandparents, they are somewhat afraid. And they do feel unsafe quite frequently. In fact, getting on a ladder when you're older is one of those things that you now pay someone to do. You don't want to do it yourself anymore. It talks about, in verse 5, about the fear of high places. Well, that doesn't mean you're on a ladder 10 or 20 or 30 feet up in the air anymore. When you're older, and I don't want to put a number to that, but when you're older, sometimes standing vertical is plenty high enough. (laughs) My wife went to visit her mom last week in San Jose. And the day before she arrived, we discovered that my mother-in-law had fallen. And uh, Lynn texted me images of my mother-in-law. She's like, I got here. This is what I saw. My mother-in-law was all bruised up on the side of her face. There's like a gash right here that had to get glued shut. She tried to stop her fall with her hand unsuccessfully. Her hand's all bruised. My wife said she had fingers like E.T. They're all swollen like sausages. And I'm like, man, forget the terrors of the road. What about the terrors of the house? Right? My, my mother-in-law has been outside, has got, taken this walk hundreds of times. But on that day, she fell. And that's reality, right? That's why as we get older, we see that old folks don't tend to inhabit uh, two-story, three-story homes. They prefer that single-level ranch-style construction, right? Let's keep going. Verse 5 continues. Solomon says, The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags himself along, and the caperberry is ineffective. Does anybody want to guess what color the blossom is of the almond tree? Do you know what color the blossom is? It's white. You old folks, you're all blossoming white flowers, is what Solomon is saying, right? Now, I'm not mocking you. I would prefer to blossom white flowers. As you can see, my tree is not blossoming flowers. My flowers are falling off the picking tree, all right? (laughs) Now, it would be easier for me if, for whatever reason, my body had gotten to that state where it said, yeah, hair growth, off, right? We're just going to discontinue hair growth. I'd be okay with that. But despite my inability to grow and retain hair on here, I have robust hair growth in places where I don't want it. Anyone, any male out there relate to me? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Right? I have prodigious hair growth on my back and on my shoulders. What? My ears look like they're preparing for a cold winter. (laughs) 
and my nose looks like I snorted a cat. (laughs) Now, I know we're supposed to be grateful for all of our blessings, all of our provisions from God. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've given me. But quite frankly, I'd trade any of these cool upgrades for a little more on the top deck. I would. My wife and I, in our, in our library at home, we've got a picture that we had taken when we were engaged. And I looked at that picture with Lynn just a few weeks ago. And I got just the coolest hair in that photo. And I'm looking at Lynn. And I say, babe, I'm sorry. She said, no worries. I met your dad. I knew what I was stepping into. Yep, the gene pool. Well, verse five also says, the grasshopper drags himself along. Grasshoppers are strong and agile, powerful legs. They're great leapers, right? How many of us, as we get older, we no longer really resemble the athlete? In fact, sometimes we can't even stand upright anymore, and when we, when we walk, it looks a little bit more like this as opposed to a normal walking cadence. Why? Well, joints tighten up. Sometimes joints need to be replaced. We're no longer very flexible, Muscles atrophy and so forth. It's a reality of aging. Here's a fun one. The caperberry is ineffective. Let's dive into the deep end of the pool for just a moment. I googled this. The caperberry, my friends, is basically Old Testament Viagra. The caperberry is ineffective. Wonder what that means. Moving on. We're going to skip the rest of verse 5. We'll come back to it in just a jiffy. Verse 6 says, remember him. He brings back the admonition from verse 1. Remember him before the silver cord is broken, before the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the well is shattered, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Well, some, some commentators think that the silver cord represents another cord in your body that's kind of grayish in color. What would that be? Your spinal cord. He says, remember him before the silver cord is broken. Remember him before the golden bowl is crushed. What's the golden bowl? Commentators say it's your cranium. It's your head. And before uh, the pitcher by the well is shattered or the wheel at the cistern is broken. What's your cistern? Well, picture a cistern, just without the metaphor, that's a place of water supply, right? And the wheel of the cistern is the thing that turns or pulls the water out of the well, brings it to you, and then a bucket goes down to keep circulating the water. What does that sound like in terms of your body? That's your heart, right? Now, it's interesting that Solomon brings back this admonition. He says, remember him again in this particular verse. Why? Well, because if your silver cord is crushed, sorry, is broken, if your golden bowl is crushed, right, if your wheel of the cistern no longer works, it can be death in an instant. These are significant, significant injuries that can introduce death. You know as well as I do that I can, I can have a finger cut off and I'll be just fine. I'll survive. I can lose an ear or I can lose my eyesight. No big deal. I'll survive. But if any of these three things are impacted in a significant way, it's the end of you. And that's why Solomon is saying, remember your creator before, because these are life-impending or or death-introducing injuries. Now, uh, we all bring our own stories into uh, you know, when we look at the Bible, there's some things that will resonate with all of us as we read particular texts. When I got to verse six, I had to think of my dad. Um, my father uh, was playing ping pong, real intense sport, in uh, Yuma, Arizona, a few years ago. 
Um, I whooped my dad's butt in ping pong regularly. And so my dad, I have this vision of him wanting to practice up on his game so he could take on his kid one more time. But my dad was playing ping pong one night in an elderly living community in Yuma, Arizona, and his, uh, just was having a great time. And he hit the ball, and all of a sudden, he fell to the floor. And uh, his opponent was a retired EMT. Best case scenario to be revived from a heart attack. The EMT quickly started doing compressions on him, started working on him, but my dad was dead. The EMT said he was probably dead by the time he hit the floor. The wheel at his cistern just locked up and stopped working. Boom. Game, set, match. My dad was 69. I don't think he thought that was going to be his last day. Probably none of us think when it happens that it's going to be our last day. But we all know it's coming, right? Verse 7. So Solomon is talking about these significant things that can happen to us that will introduce death. And he says in verse 7, Then dust will return to the earth as it was. The spirit will return to God who gave it. And if I can bring back that part of verse five that I skipped over, he says, for man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Before I delve into this too far, I want to acknowledge something. It's taken us 12 chapters and all of four and a half months to get to this spot in Ecclesiastes. Solomon has been surveying all that he's done, all of his accomplishments and all of his experiences He's a wealthy guy who's engaged in building projects and has had this accomplishment and that accomplishment and he's amassed this wisdom and he's done that and pursued this pleasure. And through all of these things that he's thrown himself at, he's going, yeah, meaningless, yeah, empty, yeah, that was useless, yeah, that was vanity, meaningless. And just surveying all these experiences on the earth and he's like, they don't amount to anything. They're all vanity, But here in chapter 12, verse 7, for the first time in the book, Solomon is not looking down at the earth. He's looking up. And he's got a slightly different perspective, right? He's looking up with his eyes and he's realizing, he's saying, there's more. Our spirit will return to the God who gave it. Now, we all know we're going to die, I hope I haven't shocked you with that statement. There's a 100% mortality rate. None of us are going to escape it. The body that you presently occupy, it's on loan to you. You kind of have to give it back. It's only temporary. It has an expiry date that is fast approaching, and a day will come when you will take your last breath and your body will return to dust. Right? There's different ways by which your body will return to dust, but your body will return to dust. It's almost a reversal of the creation account. From Genesis 2-7, Adam and Eve were formed from dust. We will return to dust. The whole cycle will be completed. And verse 7 tells us that when that happens, that our friends will gather and our family will gather and we'll have a, a get-together at a funeral home or at a church. Uh, these people are collectively referred to in verse 7 as the mourners in the street. But we'll remember, we're going to remember you. We're going to tell stories about you. We're going to play your favorite song. We're going to share those embarrassing tales that you don't want told. But we're going to remember you. And then we're all going to go out to Chewy's afterwards. And life's going to go on. But where will you be on that day? Where will you be? Your body may be at the funeral, but you will not be there. I think all of us kind of intuitively know this, but our spirit moves on. 
Our spirit departs from our body to be united with God, as Solomon tells us in verse 7. And we go to our eternal home. This world we live in, it's not our home. This is only a temporary stop along the journey. We will go to our eternal home. And Jesus, when he ministered, he spoke often about the kingdom of heaven and what this would look like. Let me just give you one snippet of this. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there now to prepare a place for you. And if I go to, to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. He is preparing a place for you in your eternal home in heaven. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.8, he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But this leads us to, I think, an unavoidable question that all of us have to ask ourselves, and that is this. How confident are you of your eternal destiny? You see, in Ecclesiastes 11, just last week, we read that Solomon reminds us that we are going to face a judgment of sorts when we die. That all the things that we do, we will have to give an account of in front of our creator. That's why Solomon warns us twice today, remember your creator. All of your actions, all of your choices, Jesus says even all of your thoughts are going to be laid bare before your creator and you get to give an account for them. And I don't know about you, but when I first heard that, that's, I thought to myself, that's not a good day. I don't want to do that. Because I've done enough stuff in my life that I am ashamed of and embarrassed of that I knew was offensive, that I wasn't going to get a passing grade on the awful examination of my life. So for me, that was, that was bad news. And I don't know where you're at today thinking about this, but I think all of us, if we were being honest this morning, would say that we'd be hanging our heads in shame if we had to stand before a holy God as he put before us the things that we've done in our life. Because those will include the things that we're not proud of. None of us, my friends, will receive a passing grade on that day. None of us will be able to do it on our own. But here's the good news. There is one person who did survive this examination. And he offers you his credentials. His name is Jesus Christ. And he lived a life without sin. And he offers you his sinless life in exchange for your sinful life. It's a gift. He offers it to you so that you can survive the examination of your creator. 2 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Jesus Christ. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Jesus tells us with his own words that he's the way that it happens. He says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. My friends, if you don't have absolute certainty regarding where you will spend your eternity, that means you have not yet made your decision for Jesus Christ. And I want to speak very clearly to you right now this morning. Stop messing around. The stakes are simply too high 
to continue putting off a decision that needs to be made on this most gravest issue. You must make a decision for Jesus if you will survive the examination of your creator. Now, as we wind down our time together today, I want to share a poem with you, all right? This poem is not one that I wrote. It's one that I found online. At one point in time, I thought I would just prefer to read this poem to you myself, but I decided instead to invite the distinguished author of the poem to read this for us, all right? So I'm going to invite her to go ahead and read this to us. We've got a video of her reading a poem. I'm going to invite the worship team to come out and prepare to lead us out in song. But before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from my Uh, most distinguished friend. I looked in the mirror, and what did I see but a little old lady peering back at me with bags and sags and wrinkles and wispy white hair, and I asked my reflection, how did you get there? You once were straight and vigorous, and now you're stooped and weak when I tried so hard to keep you from becoming an antique. My reflection's eyes twinkled, and she solemnly replied, You're looking at the gift wrap, and not the jewel inside, a living gem and precious, of unimagined worth, unique and true, the real you, the only you on earth. The years that spoil your gift wrap with other things more cruel should purify and strengthen and polish up that jewel. So focus your attention on the inside, not the out, on being kinder, wiser, more content, and more devout. Then, when your gift wrap stripped away, your jewel will be set free to radiate God's glory throughout eternity.
Fellowship, I want to send us out this morning with a, a question, and then I want to pray for us. The question for you is this. If today was your last day, what would you regret? What would be heavy on your heart if today was your last day? I know that church answer is, well, nothing. I'll be with Jesus if I go home today. And that's true. But is there anything in your life that would be left undone or unresolved if you went home to your eternal home today? Some of you have relationships that you've neglected repairing when there was a fallout years ago. Some of you have members of your family or friends or neighbors with whom you haven't shared the love of Christ, but you've been meaning to You've just been putting it off. Some of you have cool experiences you want to do with your family, but you've kept on putting it off to another day. My friends, think about the things that you would regret if you died today. And then I want you to wrestle with that and talk to each other about it and ask, what am I going to do about that? How am I going to live differently in light of that? Because we don't have any guarantees of tomorrow. Let me pray for us. Lord, I don't want, don't want to live with regret. Lord, I want to live each day as though it were my last because the reality is that it might be. I know I don't have any assurances of an earthly tomorrow, Lord. And so in light of that, I would ask, would you help me to keep short accounts in the things that matter most? May I be bold and willing to take a risk in the areas of my life where I have felt fear or hesitation or I've decided to put things off for another day. Lord, would you give me the courage to attend to the things that I know I would regret if they were left undone before I died? And Lord Jesus, if I, if I do not know with certainty where my eternal destination would be should I die today, Lord, may I pray this prayer with you now. Lord, I am a sinner. I know that. I know that there's things that I'm ashamed of, that I've done, that I regret. And I know that that separates me from a holy God. And Jesus, I've learned this morning that there is an offer that you've made of salvation, that you are willing to extend your life as a substitution for mine so that I might receive eternal life in heaven. The Bible tells us that God loved the world in such a way that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And we heard earlier, Lord, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. Lord, I confess this morning that you are Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead so that your life could be given as a substitution for my own. Lord, I pray this for my own life today. I ask you to come in to be my Lord and my Savior and to wash me of my sins as only you can do. And we thank you, Lord, for the precious offering of this gift. We know, Lord, that even a free gift has to be not only offered but received in order for it to come real. So we thank you, Lord, for the price you have paid. And all of God's people said, amen. You are dismissed.